0: There are lots of reasons to talk about civil disobedience nowadays. I mean, you can read in headlines about churches getting fined for holding services. You see on social media, some Christians are actively calling for civil disobedience. And of course we could see on the news that there's protests and more going on. So in 2020, there are lots of things going on that have given rise to sentiments of disobedience, sometimes civil and sometimes not so civil. But how should Christians feel about it? Are there times when civil disobedience is an obligation? Other times when it would be sin? And then maybe there's sometimes in the middle. Where's the line? What does the Bible say? Well, today we're going to do a case study on Daniel, the original man of civil disobedience. Let's get into it. welcome to Faith in Real Life where we talk about truths of the Bible that are relevant to your life and faith. My name is Obi and I'm the pastor to men and single adults at First Baptist O'Fallon. And today we're talking about civil disobedience and if Christians are to engage in civil disobedience, what should it look like? So I first looked up civil disobedience, just did a quick Google search to, to think about Well, what are we really dealing with and it says the refusal to comply with certain laws or to pay taxes and fines as a peaceful form of political protest. So um, just kind of emphasis on that word peaceful. Uh, I think any any calls for Christianity to be disobedient in this regard, peaceful is a good place to start. Um, but then even when we're thinking of civil disobedience, when we're thinking about peaceful protest, things like that, or, or just... Uh, I'm, I'm stepping into doing something, I'm disobeying a law in a peaceful fashion, but I am disobeying, like if a government says don't hold church, and we, we want to hold church, and so if we do that, um, we're going to behave civilly still, um, but we are, in that instance, disobeying. So are there any guidelines I wonder if you have any guidelines that you think that churches should follow. Maybe maybe you've been that Christian that's posted on social media that churches should do this or churches should do that or I can't believe we're letting this happen. And uh, well, what guidelines maybe would you assign? Uh, I recently read letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. and it's a it's a either a very short book or a very long letter. It's letter from Birmingham Jail, uh, but it's it's very good and of course um, it's. It's Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter um, t- during the time of segregation, and, and he was protesting that. And he prescribes four different steps for any nonviolent protest. The first one is an assessment of the facts, so figuring out what's actually wrong. Um, I don't want to go protest or I don't want to be civilly disobedient for a wrong cause or when I misunderstood something. Uh, the next one is, negotiation. And uh, so he want, he says, you know, the goal of protesting or being disobedient is to d- get to the negotiation table. And then he says, number three is self-purification. So we kind of forget that one sometimes when uh, we're so focused on what someone else does wrong or something we want to change, self-purification. And then the fourth one he says is direct action. So you have gather the facts, get to the negotiation table. If people won't negotiate, then Work on some self purification. Are the things about me I need to change? And then the fourth one is direct action. And and then he adds on there that taking that direct action, actually doing something to cause change, that's supposed to lead back to the negotiation table. So you know, there's Martin Luther King Jr., a beloved uh, American figure, and uh, and so those are some pretty good steps. But I want to look at Daniel and, uh, and specifically uh, his story in Scripture and see some things about him and his characteristics that allowed him to disobey in a civil way to the point where Scripture records this as uh, an example of faith, right? This is this is a testimony of awesome faith, but we can't miss the part that he disobeyed what his king at the time wanted him to do. He was civilly disobedient. And so what made that okay? You know, what makes that okay and what makes other uh, forms of disobedient disobedience, not okay. Um, well, just to get kind of the context of the book of Daniel, so you have, in chapters 1 through 5, you have Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, under the Babylonian reign. Um, and in fact, chapter 1 starts out where uh, Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem and and abducted all these teenagers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these... Israelite young men that were probably who knows 15 to 18 somewhere around there not exactly sure but but young men and so you fast forward all the way to chapter 6 and really the end of chapter 5 and now they're they're older men and Daniel's around 80 in his 80s uh, most likely and Chapter five records the fall of the Babylonian Empire, where one of the uh, one of the successors, Belshazzar, um, he's holding this feast, and you have the handwriting on the wall. Um, the, another famous story of the Book of Daniel, where um, there's the hand that that appears, and it says, "You've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting, and your your kingdom is divided." And so then that night. The Medes and the Persians come and they take over the Babylonian Empire. Well, what's interesting is in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 5, Belshazzar, because Daniel had interpreted the handwriting on the wall, he says he gives an order and they clothe Daniel in purple and they place a gold chain around his neck and issue a proclamation concerning him that he would be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, hey, what what a good promotion. Oh yeah, and then right after that, the, the empire falls to the Medes and the Persians. And so the new king comes in, Darius the Mede, and uh, by chapter 6, that's where we pick it up, is in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, you got the, the elderly Daniel, who had just been anointed this uh, third ruler of the empire and, and all that, and then the empire falls and this new empire comes in. And so in verses 1 and 2, you have the picture of this King Darius, king of the Medes, he says... Uh, it says he decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm. So he's getting his kingdom organized. But verse 2 says, And over them three administers, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. So what you have here is you have Daniel going from one kingdom where he's all of a sudden put his third ruler, and then he goes to the next kingdom, and overnight where they they uh, take over the Babylonian kingdom and this new kingdom's in place. And so Darius, uh, don't know the time frame of when he starts to appoint these, but he's getting his new empire in order and he appoints these 120 satraps, but he places three people over all of them. And one of those is Daniel. So he went from being the third man in charge of Babylon to now he's one of, uh, you got the king Darius, but then you have three men and one of those is Daniel over the new Medo-Persian empire. And so this just got me to thinking about Daniel and the fact that he always rises to the top, right? He just is always a successful person all throughout the book of Daniel. You can see in the first five chapters that he consistently rises to the top. And, you know, is that a Christian principle to consistently rise to the top? Now, if we're just talking talent and stuff, Then no, probably not. Now, if you were to read the book of Daniel, even in uh, chapters, uh, chapter one and the end of chapter one, the beginning, in the middle of chapter one, um, when it describes them, verse four of chapter one, he says they were finding young men without any physical defect, good looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, perspective, uh, perceptive, and capable of serving the king's palace. So the Bible calls them all sorts of complimentary things, including being good looking. And if the Bible calls you good looking, then I assume that means you're uh, not too bad looking. And so you have excellent young men, right? You got the cream of the crop. They're they're awesome. At the end of chapter one, like I was referring to, it talks about how God blesses them and they're 10 times better than um, everyone else. And so you know, that's not necessarily a Christian principle. They were just blessed. Not everybody's gifted with the th- same things, but I don't think that's the only reason why Daniel consistently rose to the top. In fact, there's some things that we can help. We can't help if I'm, if I'm talented, I can't help it if I'm not as good looking as Daniel and his friends. I can't help it if I'm not the smartest or whatever. Now I can work on things, uh, be healthy, learn. I could do that and I can improve a little bit. Um, but, Certain levels of talent, I'm just never going to be able to help. But there are things that we can help. So I want to look at three verses really quick, three passages. Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now I want you to hear that. It's talking in Ephesians 4.28, talking to thieves. It says, Don't steal, but do honest work with your own hands. It is a... Christian principle to work. And why? He finishes this verse saying, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. When we think about Daniel and and how he can go from one kingdom to the next, and instead of, hey, if you're the third leader of an empire that just got taken over by another empire, I'd actually be in fear for my life. I'd be a little worried that, hey, these new rulers come in, are they going to take me out? I'd I'd be nervous about that. But that's not what happened. He gets taken to the top that's not what happened to Daniel now I'm sure other ones got taken out including um the Belshazzar that he died that very night um it says in verse 30 of chapter 5 that very night Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans was killed so that did happen but not to Daniel Daniel consistently rose to the top and yeah he had talent he was good looking he's all those things but I also think that he was a worker he had that kind of ethics in first Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 10 11, it says, We encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life. Meaning, you don't need drama in your life all the time. To mind your own business. Now, I like that because I think of, uh, if you ever have anyone nosy in your life, don't tell them a preacher told you to do this. But, I mean, if you just... Took out a, a few of the words there. We encourage you to mind your own business. Bible says that. We encourage you to mind your own business. It is a little bit of a, a passage saying, hey, don't have your nose in everyone's business. We encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Seek to leave, lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and then it says the same phrase that Ephesians 4.28 says, and to work with your own hands. Right. It is a godly thing to work. It is a godly principle to work, all the way back in Genesis when when there was the fall. And one of the things that Adam was going to do, he was going to have to work to pay for his sins. So verse 12 of Ephesians 4 says, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. It is a Christian principle to provide for yourself, to work to provide. And then Proverbs 16 verse 11 says this, Honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his concern. So not only am I supposed to work, but I'm supposed to do it with integrity, right? I'm supposed to have the responsibility where I take care of myself, where I provide. In fact, where Ephesians says that I I take care of myself and... and, uh, I work to the extent that I can share with others. I'm supposed to do all that, but God cares how I do it as well. Proverbs sixteen eleven says that God wants us to have honest balances and scales. Now, you may not know what that means, but if you think about old time, how they used to barter and trade, where well, you would have a, a scale where you measure, uh, hey, I'll give you this much of this for this much of that. You can weigh it out, and you find out if, if um, it's a good deal or not. Well, if you're a dishonest tradesman, then you would have a scale where it was tipped a certain way. It'd be a dishonest scale. And so when you went to trade, then the deal wouldn't be actually good. It would just look good. Dishonesty, honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his concern. God cares about these things. So here's the question I have for you to think about first. Do you rise to the top because of your work ethic and trustworthiness? All right, we consistently see Daniel do these types of things. Throughout the book, he's the guy that they can depend on. He's the guy that has this work ethic. They can trust him. When the whole kingdom seems like it's going to be uh, everything's going wrong, the king in the first couple chapters seems like they're always threatening to kill everybody every time he has a dream. Daniel's always the one that they can trust. So. This is a passage. I said we're going to talk about civil disobedience, but I want to start to look at the man Daniel. Daniel was about to be disobedient. He was about to be disobedient, but he did not exempt himself from responsibility and integrity. Right? He was about to, to do something against his king, but he was continually trustworthy. They didn't. Dari, uh, Belshazzar didn't make him third ruler in the kingdom because he was a fool or lazy or any of that. Darius didn't appoint him just because he said, hey, the previous guy, right? There's something about Daniel consistently that he rises to the top. While it's not a Christian principle that I have to be the best looking or the, the most gifted, that's not. But responsibility and integrity are absolutely Christian principles. So then he goes on. Look at verse 3 or listen to it if you're listening on a podcast. It says, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit so the uh, king planned to set him over the whole realm Had an extraordinary spirit so I want you to think about someone that you have worked with that you enjoyed working with right we can all think of people maybe that we don't enjoy working with um, and we know the characteristics about them that we don't like but think about someone that you just really like to work with think what are what are some of the characteristics that about them that you like right if you're working with someone there may be they may just be really kind or really helpful or um, they're just nice to everyone they don't complain I I don't know all the things that this extraordinary spirit meant now I know one thing throughout the uh, the book of Daniel you can see even uh, just looking back one chapter Daniel chapter five it says, Uh, talking about Daniel, I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods. They consistently said that about him. So they did notice something different about his spirit. But let's say he was even gifted um, just, hey, he has a spirit of the gods because they're polytheistic. They didn't understand that. No, he has the spirit of God with him. But barring all that, thinking about what an extraordinary spirit meant, even if you say that man has God with him, you wouldn't say that if well, he's complaining all the time. He's super lazy. He he doesn't ever pick up his share of the work. He's grouchy. He's a jerk to everyone. He he's just rude. Like I, w- I want us to think about the people that we work with, and when we think about uh, the things that distinguish a person like Daniel, to where the Bible can say that he has an extraordinary spirit. I believe he was a passionate, determined, gracious, kind. Godly, when we think of being spiritual in Scripture, oftentimes it's really talking about being godly, that he's pure. And we're going to see that in a second. I think he was all those things. So here's what I want to ask you. Do you rise to the top because of your extraordinary spirit? Yes, Daniel was about to be disobedient. But he wasn't an ugly, hate-filled, and I mean that ugly as in the the personality sense, not as good-looking sense. He was an ugly, hate-filled, violent, lazy Bible says he was extraordinary. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Do you rise to the top because of your extraordinary spirit? Do you distinguish yourself in this life because of your extraordinary spirit? And all the things that that can mean, absolutely one of those being, you have God's spirit in you, and you walk with God. Right? Do we distinguish ourselves for those reasons? He's about to be disobedient, but we can see he didn't leave his integrity, responsibility behind, and he had an extraordinary spirit. So we get to verse 4. Verse 4 is interesting. It's where jealousy comes through, not Daniel's, but other people. It says, "...the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy." and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Now, when we try to think of uh, civil disobedience, and if we want to do something that is against government or against authority, and we want to disobey, could this sentence be said of us? They could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. The enemies of Daniel could find nothing. Sometimes people are going to look for dirt on you and the best defense against accusations is to not be guilty. <laughs> that, that may be self-explanatory, but could they say that of us? Would enemies of the cross find dirt on me? Now, they're probably jealous of his, his rank, his authority, his success, all that stuff. Yeah, there's going to be people jealous. Would, would this sentence be true of me? Is it true of you? They could find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him what a statement about the importance of good character with the enemies of the cross if you were wanting to do something for God I'm gonna I'm gonna be civilly disobedient I'm gonna disobey someone in power because hey this is what Christians should do okay but would the enemies of the cross be able to find dirt on you? Things not at all God-related, just something that not not that I just disobeyed civilly, but something else. Something else in my life. There was a lack of integrity, a lack of character, something else. Daniel was about to be disobedient, but his life honored God. Like let's not miss that. Let's not miss that. If I'm gonna think about doing something against someone of authority, my life must honor God. So you have this guy who he doesn't shirk his responsibilities. He's constantly promoted because he stands out with excellence. He has this extraordinary spirit and he has this unimpeachable character that the enemies that are trying to harm him are looking for dirt. They can't find anything. So look at verse 5 or listen to verse 5 if you're listening on podcast. It said, Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this man Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. I want the weight of that verse to hit you. (laughs) These men said we will never find any charge against this Daniel. They know because like it just said in verse 4, he had no corruption. We'll never find anything unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. So I want us to think in verse 4 of what Emmaus Of the cross be able to find dirt on us? Would enemies of the cross be able to find us guilty of the faith? If verse 4 is about dirt, verse 5 is about faith. Would they be able to find dirt on me? Oh, I hope not, but probably, right? Let's be honest, probably. I need to not, but probably. But then by verse 5, they say, we can't find anything, so we'll have to use this faith against him. Well, the only way this works is if Daniel's faithful, right? The only way they can find anything against him is if they know that he is going to be steadfast in the faith. If he was just some lethargic Christian that didn't ever do anything extra for God, they're about to get him for prayer, right? Right? If, if our prayer life were going to be the thing that indicts us, <laughs> would we, if, there, if the enemies of the cross are going to come at us and say, uh, hey, we won't be able to get them for anything except for their prayer life, or they read the Bible too much, or they attend church too faithfully, would we be guilty? Would enemies of the cross be able to find us guilty of the faith? So Daniel was about to be disobedient. He was. He was about to be civilly disobedient. But his obedience to God was unquestioned, so much so that they knew they could use it against him. And these are some build-up verses, aren't they, to, to Daniel in the lion's den to examine this, this man, Daniel, who he doesn't shirk responsibility. He has integrity. He has an extraordinary spirit. Enemies of the cross can't find, can't find any dirt on him but they can find something about his faith. So if I were just to stop here before we even go on, before we even read a little bit more, I'm only going to verse 10. If I were going to stop there and to say, what's a rule for civil disobedience? I think we've seen it with Daniel. right? We've seen that he he didn't leave his morality aside. The only thing that they could call him guilty of was exercising the faith. That's the only vulnerability he had. So if we were to say, what's a hard, fast rule? Where's, where's a line to draw? Exercise your faith. That's, that's where the line is. Exercise your faith. If, if it's going to be something else that I was going to get mad and storm something or, or um, curse someone out on social media or whatever other action you want to say, that's what falls in verse 4 where the enemies of the cross can find guilt. Verse 5 is where we want to be. If I'm going to be found guilty of something, I want it to be because I was obedient to God. I don't want to be guilty of anything else other than being obedient to God. If I have to stand before a judge one day, other than God the judge, if I have to stand before a legal judge on this earth, I want to be guilty of, of having faith, of being obedient to God. I can live with that. I can live with that. But I don't want to be in verse 4 where they found corruption or or negligence or or put in your own sin there whatever whatever we want to say that maybe we've had some sentiments lately that I want to do something else and and you know there may be some other action that's not as godly but I really want to take it that's the flesh that's not the spirit that's not the extraordinary spirit that was in Daniel so we see verses 6 and 7 I'm just gonna read six through nine real quick, actually. Says so the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for thirty days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. So they stroke his ego, right? They say, Oh king, you're so awesome, live forever. And we've got this great idea, king. How about, because you're so awesome, how about we make this rule that if anybody's going to pray for anything, for 30, how about 30 days? For 30 days, no one can ask anyone, whether God or, or whomever, they can't petition, they can't pray to anyone but you. Now, this king must be like, you know, I am pretty awesome. Maybe i, maybe I that's a that's a pretty good idea. Best idea I've heard all day. And so it says, verse 8, Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the edict. So you see both the sin of the other leaders who were je- jealous of Dano, and then you see the only way that it happened is King Darius, his ego, allowed him to sign this law that, that essentially elevates him to the position of a God. So I want to just pause here and just think, what would you do if you were Daniel? All right? You've got this law that essentially says there's no prayers. Don't pray for 30 days. Now, sometimes let's be honest, Christian, would that be that hard to obey? Okay. <laughs> I just don't have to pray. All right. Well, Hey, I don't like to pray anyway, so I, I seldom do it. So, so, Hey, that will be fine. 30 days and then I'll, I'll pick it back up. Is that sometimes true of us? What about if we just look for some wiggle room? right? I mean, okay, they say I can't pray, but how are they really going to enforce that? How are they, how are they really going to check that out? Tell you what I'll do. I'm going to go on my bed at night and in the morning, and I'm just going to pretend I'm sleeping, and I'm going to have my eyes closed, and I'm going to pray in my head, and they're not going to be able to do anything about that. that. That's what, Isn't that reasonable? I mean, couldn't I just say, on the one hand, just wait 30 days. God will forgive me, right? Or on the other hand, I could say, well, I'm just going to pretend. I'm going to fake it, and they won't know. They they won't be able to prove it. Let's look what Daniel did. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room were open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God. Now I'm going to pause there. That's what, if, if we just stop there, we could say, oh, well, he's kind of audacious, right? He went into his room, and he didn't just pretend on his bed. He got down on his knees. He had the window open. I mean, was he asking to get caught? Was he doing this on purpose? That, hey, we kind of like that. Is there a little rebel in Daniel? But it says there at the end of verse 10, just as he had done before. Let me tell you what Daniel was doing. He didn't. Daniel didn't know that this was going to be the story of Daniel and the Lions Den, right? And in fact, in the next part of it, it's going to be a, a terrifying and an alarming story. One that, for some reason, we tell children about uh, Daniel and the Lions Den. But Daniel didn't know all that. Daniel was just a man praying. Like, like I want us to think about that. He wasn't leading a march. He wasn't um, leading a social media movement. He wasn't saying, all Christians, let's go to church. He did the same thing that he had always done before. He went up to his room three times a day, knelt on his knees, had the windows open, because that's what apparently he had done before, and he prayed. When we think of civil disobedience, we like it to be a little more glorified than that, right? I mean, after all, this is the story Daniel in the lion's den, but Daniel doesn't know that by verse 10. By verse 10, he is just a man faithfully praying. He is a man that had been examined by his enemies, and his enemies said, we cannot find any dirt on this guy. There's nothing we can do except for the law of God. He'll be obedient to that. So if we can use the law of God against him, then we can get him. So what they do? Did they do some fancy thing where where you know it it was some difficult complex? No, they just said we get him in prayer, a simple, basic act of worshiping the Holy God, where I talk to the the Holy God, the One God, the the Heavenly Father. Daniel's just a man praying. He got down on his knees, praised, prayed, and gave thanks to God just as he had always done before. So what's the principle here? Right, I've had difficulties with this. Uh, I've confessed to, I'm, I'm the pastor to the Young Singles, and I've confessed some of my difficulties with this time of COVID and, and wanting to meet together and, and things like that. And, and of course, I see social media things, and, and there's probably not a church in America that hasn't been bombarded with messages of, uh, of we should be doing this, or we're doing too much, and, and, and it's all over. There, there's all sorts of difficulties in this, and we'd love just a clear line. Right? We'd love something here in uh, verse 10, and then maybe 10 subnote that says, Hey, and during COVID, this is what you should do. But there is no such thing as that, right? We have to take the principle. And the principle that I see before verse 10 is that the only thing Daniel was guilty of is being obedient to God, right? So if, if we're going to do something, it's not going to be with anger and hate because he had an extraordinary spirit. It's not going to be any of that. If I'm going to be guilty of something, it's going to be obedience to God. But then by verse 10, we see an exercise of that obedience. Now, why didn't Daniel just close his eyes at night when he was going to bed, lay down on his bed and, and, and pray with his eyes closed? Why didn't he do that? I can only assume he was just convicted. This is what I do. This is what I do to worship God. So it's what I'm going to keep doing. I've always done this and it's what I'm going to keep doing. And, and, and so he's recording in Scripture and having this just amazing story of shutting the mouth of lions, but it started with just a man being faithful in prayer. A small thing. Not leading a movement. A man praying. So here's the principle that I would take. If your heart is convicted to honor God in a certain way, and now that certain way needs to be ground in truth, right? You can't say, well, God convicted me that that uh, I should go do something bad or lie and steal or cheat or, or whatever. No, if your heart is convicted to honor God in a way that is grounded in Scripture, let there be no higher law. If your heart is convicted to honor God in a certain way that's grounded in truth, then let there be no higher law. That's why I see with Daniel. There was a law that said you cannot pray, but there was a higher law in his heart that said no, I will pray to my God. I have to pray to my God. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I'm not trying to to fight a fight like there's not just a there's not just a passion in me that I just want to fight. Is that is that true of our society today? <laughs> my goodness. I think everybody's wound up and ready to fight. Everybody's ready to go 9 rounds. I mean, it, that's that's the picture that we see. Go on social media and post something a little controversial and see how many comments you get. Man, everybody's wound up, ready for a fight. That's not what he was doing. He was praying to God just like he had always done. He had the right motives. But his heart was convicted in a certain way to honor God. And so he said, There can be no higher law. There's nothing I can't I hear. I hear you that there's a law. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he knew it. He says, I hear you. There's a law out there. But what I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna honor God. Because there's no higher law than God. So As kind of a New Testament um, example of this, kind of a precedent. um, I'm I'm looking at Romans 14, verses 1 through 6, and interestingly, Romans 13 is uh, the chapter that tells us to submit to government authorities. Uh, But Romans 14, and it really doesn't have to do with government at all, but if you stick with me, I'm going to give you kind of a principle uh, that can apply here. So Romans 14, verses 1 through 6 says this, Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't, don't argue about disputed matters. Well, maybe you can see the relevance of verse 1. Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. Now, we, of course, always think the other person's weak in the faith. But this says, but don't argue about disputed matters. So verse 2 says, One person believes he made anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. So this this is an allusion potentially to several things. Meat offered to idols or uh, food during certain ceremonies or things that aren't kosher, right? So there's lots of different... Um, things that this could be referring to, but it says one believes he can eat anything. The other says you can eat only vegetables. Verse three, one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does because God has accepted him. So what I want you to hear there, even though it's not about like Daniel and the lion's den, it's not about COVID, it's not about those things, it's not even about government, but what it is about is a difference of conviction in the heart of two believers one says, I believe you can only do this. One says, I believe you can do that. He says, don't look down on each other. Don't argue about disputed matters. Verse 4, who are you to judge another's household sir, or another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him. So we're God's. God is the master in that analogy about another's household. We're his servant. He says, you fellow servants, which is me and you, you're not there to judge each other and, and to say, well, you should believe this way, you should believe that. Now, of course, this isn't talking about all doctrine. Of course, we need to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection and, and the essentials of the faith. Don't hear me uh, say that. Read it in context. Verse 1 says, Welcome anyone who's weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. So it's talking about those not primary, secondary, those tertiary and beyond doctrines. Let's not uh, debate about those. So this says he'll stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Then verse 5 says, One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat and he gives thanks to God. So do you see the pattern there, right? Whether it's talking about eating food or, or, uh, steaming one day above another, whether it's the Sabbath or whether it's a, a holy day or whatever, he says, one says one day's set apart another says all the days are, are the same. Okay. And he says, you all did it for the Lord. So don't go to to disputation don't don't fight about those kind of things if you want to stand on something stand on the cross stand for the cross say that's what matters the gospel that's what matters the the inerrancy of scripture those types of things yes but on those those other disputed matters he says hey are you convicted to observe a day for God okay then do it so here's what I want to say again if your heart is convicted to honor God in a certain way that is grounded in truth let there be no higher law. Right? I can't tell you uh, this church should open, that church should open. We should do exactly what, this or that action during a difficult time or, or during a time of political unrest. We should take this course of action. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is Daniel, if we looked at all these verses combined, Daniel was a man who did not leave his integrity and responsibility behind. He was a man who had an extraordinary spirit, and I think they mean that in every sense of that. Not just that he had a spirit of God's, but he had a spirit of the Holy God with him, absolutely, and I think that that was that made him a man of, of passion, integrity, and um, godliness, and, and kindness, and reliability, and all those things. He had an extraordinary spirit. We see Daniel, he didn't leave his integrity, responsibility behind, he had an extraordinary spirit, In verse 4, we see that he was unimpeachable. Verse 5 shows us that the only way he was impeachable was his faith. That's the only thing they could say he's guilty of is his faith. And then we see in verse 10 that the exercise of that faith, the simple act of prayer. Now, prayer is powerful. I'm not saying it's not powerful, but it's a simple action. right? I just bow on my knees, or like I said, you could just lay down in your bed at night and close your eyes and they won't know if you're sleeping or praying. But the simple action, powerful but simple, he got down on his knees three times a day, prayed, and gave thanks to God. His heart was convicted. That's the only thing I can assume. He he heard the law. He learned the document had been signed. Daniel, why didn't you amend your practice? Daniel, why didn't you just wait 30 days? He did what he had always done, which is worship God. Honor God. Pray to God. The only thing that any of us could ever want to be guilty of is being obedient to God, being faithful to God. So while there's not a clear line in every circumstance, there's some clear principles. To honor God with our life, if you're going to be guilty of something, be guilty of being faithful and obedient to Him. And if there's some instance like chapter 6, verse 10, where there's there's an ordinance that would stop him from praying to his God, and his heart's convicted, then let there be no higher law. And that's why I'd say to you, I don't know where the line is in every situation, but I do know if my heart is convicted to do something for God and it's biblical and it's grounded in truth, let there be no higher law. Well, there are no higher law, there is no higher law than God's law. There are no things more, more important than God's things. This is a picture of a man who had just amazing, impeccable, unimpeachable character. If I even want to begin to think about civil disobedience, I want to examine myself, kind of like Martin Luther King said, that I take that, that view of myself, that that I I check myself and see, um, is there any self-purification that needs to go on? Daniel's a fantastic example here. When we think of this culture right now that is angry so often so quick the christian walk is a different walk daniel's not a man who screamed out of his window saying i'm praying and there's nothing you can do to stop me daniel's a man who said i'm going to pray because i love god i want to be with god i'm not angry at this whole world i'm going to go pray to god and i'll accept the consequences because think about this Bowing down on my knees three times a day to pray to God is more important than my life. I hear your law. You say I'll be thrown into a lion's den. Well, that was, that was kind of excessive. But that's what you said. Okay, I'm going to pray. You throw, me, throw me in there if you want. And they will. And he didn't know God would shut the mouth of the lion. He didn't know that. He just said prayer is that important. So that's what I encourage anyone listening to this or watching this on YouTube is that if you're thinking about, man, can Christians get involved in civil disobedience? I think we see a template here. Does it measure up to this? Or are we just kind of trying to assuage our own our own desires for fighting like the culture has? Do I want to argue with everybody, prove I'm right like everyone else? Or do I want to be a man of peace like Daniel? A man who works with his hands, a man who, who has an extraordinary spirit who is only guilty of obe- being obedient to God. Man, that's a that's a standard to live up to. That's what I'm going to try to do. You try to do that as well. Well, thank you for watching or listening. And if you're in the O'Fallon, Illinois area, we would love for you to stop by and visit our church. We have two awesome services each week. And we have small groups called Life Groups. Of course, if you're in a vulnerable category or just not comfortable coming back to church yet, we also stream our services. And we have lots of online Life Groups. So we'd love to um, connect you with one of those. And then this coming up Sunday, September 13th, our Kids Life resumes. So they are doing pre-registration for Kids Life. So if you have children, you want to check them in, you got to pre-register them. So be sure to check out our website for all of those details. In fact, you can find... All the details for things happening at our church through our social media, and that is at FBCOFallon.org. That's FBCOFallon.org. We'll see you next time.